Again, Kent Hill Cinema Yugen, my guest, is a man, the man, probably the man I know with the most van damage on his resume. It's uh, Sheldon Lettich. He is the uh, the writer of a little movie you might have heard of Bloodsport, as long as uh, as well as uh, Double Impact. And he's a man uh, largely responsible for the rise, success, uh, early success of uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. He's out at the moment in a wonderful book called From Vietnam for Va- From Vietnam to Van Damme. That's by it, Corey, yeah. by Corey Danner, and it's uh, it's wonderful to have him back. We did have a chat once before; it was going to be for a print article, but I'm very glad to have him back as a guest, uh, my second guest. A new podcast, Cinema Yugen, Sheldon, welcome again. Thank you. Nice <laughs> to be here again. It's nice, it's nice to have you again, Sheldon. Uh, my my wife and I were talking last night about Van Damme movies because I was going to be talking with you this morning. Her oh. favorite, she said, her favorite favorite Van Damme movie is uh, uh, Double Team, the one he did with Dennis Rodman. Do you remember that one? But um, I just wondered, what was your favorite? Being a, being a man who's who's been mostly about Van Damme, what's your favorite Van Damme movie? Oh, um, well, it's 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 really hard to separate them. It's like asking me, oh, well, who's uh, your favorite which, which one of my daughters is my favorite, <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, well, which, which one do you find yourself going to then? You know, if you had to see um, watch one. Uh, probably it's either Double Impact or Lionheart. Right. Uh, th- those two. Those are really a couple of classics. Yeah. And, uh, that, uh, uh, that company, MVD, brought out a very nice uh, issue of, of Double Impact. Not that long they ago. did. It was very, very handsome. It did. I like it when they, they take a little bit of time and do some nice uh, – do a nice package and, and, a, and a, a restoration and all that for some of these movies. Um, and it, it's it's odd sometimes to see the ones that have been uh, celebrated and singled out that have continued, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's so many that came out in those days, the heady days of VHS that didn't survive, that didn't find an audience even on VHS when they were expelled from uh, cinemaplexes for not doing so well. Of course, uh Lionheart and Double Impact, they both opened in uh, theater, theaters. They were theatrical releases. Yeah, sure. yeah. And then, of course, VHS extended to life for many years. Mm. And I, I got a lot of fans from the VHS viewing. So uh, yes. yeah, that was a, that was like a second, pretty much a second helping of the same uh, movies. Yeah. So being a, being a screenwriter, you're a screenwriter first, how do you feel about the, uh, it's odd that, Twice in my life, I find myself podcasting during um, a major shutdown in Hollywood. The first time was for COVID. The second time, the writers and the actors have uh, have decided to walk off the job. Um, how do you feel about it, Sheldon? What's your well, take on the whole thing? Well, uh, by doing these walkouts, uh, what they're trying to do is just get some extra benefits for the writers or, and for the actors. Yes. Uh, you know, it's this whole new uh, uh, paradigm now with uh, uh, streaming. Hmm. And there's a lot of money coming in via streaming, not so much coming in from DVD and Blu-ray anymore like it used to. Uh, so um, uh, basically the writers and the actors just want to make sure that we're getting our fair cut of that, especially since the residuals from 
DVD and free TV and all of that has, has been going down right. while streaming's been going up. And so we want to make sure we're getting not getting locked out of that. And yeah. um, uh, the strikes that they've had in the past, mm. I'm getting a lot of benefits from those strikes because that's the, really the only way to get the producers to come to the table and finally say, okay, we're gonna, we'll try to be fair. Uh, if if they don't have to, if they don't have a gun to their head, they're not going to be fair. They're just going to take it all for themselves. So uh, sure. uh, nowadays, in addition to residuals, um, technically I'm retired from the Writers Guild and Directors Guild. So I get I get a pension. I get health benefits. There's a lot of things that I get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, once, your, once your career is kind of shot, mm-hmm. uh, then... You need some way to keep going to uh, keep sure. paying the bills, yeah. and that's what uh, that's what this does. The the residuals and uh, pensions and all of that. So uh, it's uh, it's very necessary for them to hold yeah. out to get some of these benefits. Otherwise, the producers just they just take everything. They're not going to give us. They're not going to give us shit unless we force them. So that's mm-hmm. what the strike's about. Yeah. So it's it's. <clears throat> It's more than just. I mean, some commentators uh, seem to 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 brush it off quite simply. I mean, they the way they see it is 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 it is it's not as simple as just a rewording of the contract that that writers have with their employers, right? It's not just a matter of rewording what's well, there. the contract expired. Yeah. So basically, they have to negotiate for a new contract. Sure. And in the previous contracts, mm. uh, uh, streaming was not really uh, streaming was mentioned. Mm. There's a little bit coming from streaming. Mm. Now the floodgates have opened right. with streaming, and I think most people are watching movies on their TVs using streaming services. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, it's become very important, whereas it was not important a few years ago. When they negotiated the last contract, so yeah. that's why there's an impasse now. The producers are going to hold out and try to give us as little as possible, mm. and we're going to hold out and try to get as much as possible. So that's why there's an impasse right now. Do you think the Do you think the uh, the early sort of warning signs of what, of, well, the way I see it anyway, the early warning signs of this was uh, <coughs> Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, wasn't it? Because, uh, oh, because yeah, she was getting ripped yeah, off from residuals. Yeah, yeah, because they they were forced to at the time because of the pandemic to release the film completely right. digitally with no theatrical, and of course their contracts didn't include anything of that. Just like yeah. what just what what they're looking for now, it doesn't include the fact. Well, if your film is only digitally mm. streamed, right, and not theatrically. You know, um, well, we never got residuals from theatrical releases. Okay, that was right. that was a separate deal. But uh, uh, residuals dealt with the um, uh, the after effects. Uh, the um, um, I forgot what the the term is, but basically, residuals dealt with what happens after the theatrical run. Mm. Uh, you know, like this weekend, you've got two Hollywood films who are doing really good. Uh, the uh, uh, Oppenheimer and uh, Barbie, mm. um, but uh, the um, uh, the creative people are not reaping anything 
from yeah. that theatrical run. That all goes to the studios and the distributors. Mm -hmm. uh, however, once it goes to DVD, once it goes to streaming, once it goes to free TV and cable TV, mm -hmm. that's when we start getting our our fair cut of of uh, what's of the money that's coming in. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, and that that was the the case with Scarlett Johansson too. She got paid for making the movie, hmm. uh, and she didn't get anything extra when the movie was released in theaters. But then when it went to hmm. cable and, uh, streaming. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and I believe that uh, it was about the fact that uh, it wasn't released properly uh, uh, theatrically because of the pandemic. Right. And that, that hurt the sales afterwards. So her residuals were diminished because of that. Hmm. And she was just trying to get her fair share. Sure. Yeah, I haven't I didn't follow that one very closely, but that's what I uh, that's what I've taken away from it. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't follow it, you know, methodically either. But it just seems like uh, with a lot of a, a lot of the central talk is to do with the digital, the digital realm, the AI thing. How do you feel about the whole AI jazz uh, computers? Right, that's a hard one to put my finger on because I haven't. It, it, they really haven't started doing much with it uh, now. AI, I know it can be used. Uh, uh, you uh, you program certain aspects of a story hmm. into a computer, yeah. and uh, the computer might be able to write a whole screenplay based on that. Like, uh, I give you an example: uh, one of my own movies, R Rambo Three. Yeah. Now, we had all the elements hmm. before that script was written. Basically, we had a character, Rambo. We had we had Troutman, yeah. um, and what we did for the third one is we uh, we, we picked a new uh, a, a new venue for, for the story to take place in. And right. Now it's going to be Afghanistan. The previous one took place in Southeast Asia, so okay. So we got Afghanistan, we've got Rambo, we've got Troutman, and we've got Russians. They're bad guys again, so we've got Soviets in Afghanistan. So you you could program all of that into a computer. And I could see how it could possibly spit out a a, a script for a sequel. Right. Uh, it's not uh, not impossible to imagine that. Now, if it's an original project, for example, Bloodsport, hmm. okay, uh, how's AI going to figure out what to do with that? Right. Uh, there were um, there Frank, were certain Frank yeah, AI unto himself, isn't he, Sheldon? What's that? Uh, Frank Dukes is an AI unto himself, isn't he? Yes, he is. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's been creating uh, fantasies about himself for for years. And actually, Bloodsport was uh, uh, it was really a, just a fantasy that he created about himself. I know. Uh, that he participated in this kumite and that he was trained as a ninja and all of that, and yeah. all of it was bullshit. But. Um, uh, a good story. He got it to um, he, he got it to Black Belt magazine. He talked to the editor of Black Belt and convinced the editor of Black Belt that there might be some veracity to this. Hmm. So Black Belt published this article right. about Frank Dukes and the Kumite, and that's what the story was really based upon. Was that Black Belt article? Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, I suppose you could have maybe programmed that into a computer and had 
but the computer would not have known how to structure it because it was a completely new yes. way of structuring a movie like that. Well, I have, uh, I have, I have seen um, a, a little bit of an example. I watched the program where a, a comedian came on one of those panel news shows, and he had um, the AI write a a series of jokes for a half hour comedy segment for him, and the challenge right. was is he didn't tell the audience, and he didn't. Uh, there was another. It was only he had to do a series of jokes, like six jokes or something. Right. And he didn't tell the audience that they were written by a computer and he just went out like he would and performed the jokes. And everyone kind of, the jokes were kind of like, I don't know, little kids' jokes. You know, when a kid comes to uh -huh. a joke that they think's uh -huh. funny, and it's just like, hey, Dad, what do you, what's red and looks like a bucket? You know, a red bucket. Ah. Uh -huh. And that was the kind of humour that came out of the computer right. because of, as, as Roger Ebert, uh, said, you know, towards the end of his life, when he was talking through the the help of a computer. All right, right. Said, yeah. You know, he liked to tell jokes and dirty limericks, and he said, "I can't tell jokes anymore because a computer has no nuance." Computer has no what? A computer has no nuance. Nuance, right, yeah. right, yeah. So yeah. I, I think I, I when I was thinking about the whole AI. Uh, thing in danger. I don't think it will be in danger to write a danger to writers because a computer doesn't have any nuance like people do. Right, right. A computer can't bring, uh, like a conductor to a piece of music, the right passion and the right tempo mm. to a certain moment that you bring through your life experience. Like I'm pretty yeah. sure that you, uh, anything that you've written, uh, you draw, I mean, you've got a wealth. Anyone who reads this book. Emotion. You have to be feeling the scenes as you're writing them. Sure. Uh, if I'm not feeling, if I'm not feeling the scene, if I'm not putting myself in the scene, in the midst of that scene, it's tough to write it. So, uh, uh, well, we'll, look, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I, I think possibly uh, AI could, could write certain screenplays, but... Um, um, you're going to miss out on the, the nuance and you're going to miss out on anything original. Could yeah. they, could AI come up with something completely original? Like, like look at, look at Star Wars, for example. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was based on, uh, uh, you know, George Lucas watched all these old sci-fi movies, read sci-fi comic books, read sci-fi stories. Um, and it all sort of came together in his head. Hmm. He put it down on paper. I don't think a computer could could have done that. The computer could not have come up with, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi and stuff like that, for example. That's yeah. all imagination, and imagination is something that we've either either you've got it or you don't got it. Mm. Uh, most people have got it to some extent, mm. but uh, like somebody like George Lucas would have it in in, in spades, and you're you're not going to get that from a computer. No, no. Yeah. But um, I, like I was saying to you last time, it was wonderful reading Corey's book uh, about your entire uh, your entire journey. Mm. Um, I, I guess two questions that come out of it for me is uh, the jungles. I, I realised that the jungles of Vietnam were dangerous in a literal sense, but the jungles of Hollywood are equally as dangerous sometimes. Would you? Um, no, my 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 life was not at stake in the jungles of 
Oh, no, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean in. I don't mean in the in the. Oh, but treacherous, treacherous. They have their own. Treacherous, form of treachery, yeah. As far yeah. as treachery is, uh, you know, the, the yeah. treachery. Well, the Hollywood, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe even more treacherous. But, uh, right. uh, but I've never felt that my life was in danger <laughs> here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Take the rider at the back and and hit him with a shovel yeah. or something like right. that. <laughs> but um, and another thing did. We were talking about Frank Dukes for a minute there. You know how in, in a lot of Jean-Claude's v movies, he's meditating doing the splits? Right. Um, just for argument's sake, did you ever see Frank? Did Frank ever be up in the corner meditating like that, doing the splits? No, 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 Frank did not. Frank couldn't do shit, really. Oh, really. okay, right, yeah. No, I just wondered because Van Damme did it a lot, and I thought, well, he can do it because that was a Van Damme trademark. It had nothing no, to do with Frank right. Duke. No, I just wondered if if he might have said, "Hey, I, I, when I meditate, I normally do it." Do you think that um, you know the the way the Road Warriors sort of spawned a bunch of those sort of post apocalyptic people driving through cars through deserts and all those sorts of movies? Thing I was I was thinking back about you know the how in Van Damme movies as a training that seemed to 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 spawn a whole similar versions like i remember there was a a slew of of kickboxing sort of i oh, mean yeah, yeah. john claude blood, did kickboxer but yeah know. blood fist blood fight blood match blood game okay and then there's just a lot of basically it spawned a bunch of tournament movies what yeah. blood sport was was really the first tournament martial arts movie now mm. there's a tournament uh, part of the plot in enter the dragon so you might say Enter the Dragon came first, but yeah. Enter the Dragon is really about uh, cops trying to sneak into this island fortress that's mm. run by the drug lord, and the drug lord has uh, a competition once a year, and so that's how the cops get in there. They they enter the competition. Now they're in the island, and now they can they can bring down his uh, ne various nefarious activities. That's that's what that's all about. Whereas Bloodsport. Is totally about the tournament. It's, it starts with fighters mm -hmm. going to the tournament. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to uh, the Kumite. Uh, and um, then we've got the Kumite. We've got the you know various matches between different fighters. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when Jean-Claude's character has won, he gets on a plane to go back home. That's the end of the movie. So basically, it's all tournament. The whole thing. That was... That was the uh, the concept that I came up with right. was to make it all about the tournament. tournament. And there have been quite a few other ones made yeah. since then that, um, that follow that paradigm. Yeah, I found they either followed that one or, or the kickboxer one where it's, you know, a brother has to avenge the other brother and enter, right, a, tournament, right, right. enter mm -hmm. a tournament and fight the guy. That's more like Lionheart, that, where he has, right, to, right. Yeah. He has to get redemption and he ends up fighting the – the baddest man on the planet, Attila, or whatever his name was. And well, um, in, in Lionheart, we actually went against the we 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 swam against the tide mm -hmm. with Lionheart because basically uh, it doesn't follow that storyline. It's right. uh, okay. His his brother is killed at the beginning. Yeah. Does he go after those killers? No. You never see those guys again. No. Um, then he starts getting involved with these street fights. Hmm. And the final fight in the movie is not, he doesn't fight somebody who had anything to do with his brother's death. 
Hmm. Now that's the way these things usually work. Okay, yeah. uh, a family member is killed at the beginning. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then basically our our hero goes after them and ends up uh, having a fight at the end with somebody who is directly responsible for his family member's death. We didn't do that in Lionheart. We went completely against it. No. Now with our next movie with Double Impact, yeah. we totally went for that, uh, revenge. that revenge concept. But basically the the parents are killed at the beginning, and then the, the two brothers come together, and they spend the rest of the movie hunting down the people who were responsible for their parents' death. Mm-hmm. And basically, the movie ends. We kill the two main bad guys, and mm-hmm. that, and so they get they get their revenge. Yeah. Whereas in Lionheart, that, that doesn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that. I have to admit, Double Impact's probably the one that I've watched. The most that was my favorite one. I, I like. I would have liked to have seen more uh, uh, Jean Claude Dumont, where he was those two brothers. Like, a, I'm not uh-huh. suggesting a sequel, but I don't know another, not a direct sequel, maybe, but another Chad and Alex Wagner. You know, right, right. I think, was, I think yeah, I think they had a good thing. The sequel was discussed many times. We could not bring, pull it together because. The rights to uh, Double Impact had been sold to so many different companies all over the world. That's how they financed it. That's how they put the financing together. Mm. So the movie becomes successful. And now uh, everybody wants to do a sequel. But you've got to get, you've you've got to uh, involve the distributor in Germany, the distributor in Indonesia, the distributor in Japan. Everybody's got to sign off on it and be involved. And get a piece of the pie, mm. and uh, it becomes very, very complicated. Yeah, mm. shame, shame. Mm. I know there's a lot of movies been set up that way, and it's 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 always a shame because I don't know. It, for, before, I mean, I know that sort of thing had done before, where you know you had the same guy play two two brothers. I remember first seeing it in um, one of the first movies of the story. Did you see uh, Richard Chamberlain do the Man in the Iron Mask? Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, the, the Richard Chamberlain version. I I might have seen parts of it. Uh, yeah. That was I one of the first time. times I remember because he he obviously plays, you know, the two the two brothers. Oh, really? One's the king and one's the one's oh, the Iron okay. Mask. Yeah. I'll tell you what got the ball rolling on um, these t- uh, twin movies was um, uh, the original version of the Corsican Brothers. That's what Double Impact's based on. But there was, uh, yeah, there was the Corsican Brothers film made in 1942, I believe, with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And Douglas Fairbanks Jr. plays both brothers. And you take a look at the, if you've ever seen it, it's it's not impossible to get get your hands on it. If you watch that movie, you're going to say, oh, shit, this is Double Impact. It it is, basically. That's what we didn't follow. The, um, there was a, a short story that Alexander Dumas wrote, right. um, and um, uh, they, tur- uh, uh, whichever studio it was in Hollywood, mm. turned it into something bigger uh, mm. and more, more interesting, which was the Corsican Brothers mm. with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And then uh, we basically used the. Um, we we use that as our basis for double impact. It's pretty much the Corsican brothers. 
watch that. I'm gonna have to watch that. Mm. That's one. Oh, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen, but that's yeah, that that interests me. Yeah, well, very few people have seen that one. You yeah, know, four second uh, brothers, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And mm. they basically did this. They did the special effects the same way we did them. Okay, uh, two brothers. Really? I've seen. I have seen his. I've seen a lot of his movies. Actually, my favorite Sinbad movie is Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and just uh, Sinbad the Sailor, the one he did with Maureen O'Hara and. Right, right. Anthony Quinn is in it as well, the young Anthony Quinn. But um, oh, I'll oh, check that. The Corsican Brothers. There you go. That's a good. There you go. There you go, folks. A film recommendation to end a podcast about movies. You can't get any better than that. And who better to get a film recommendation from from my guest, my returning guest, the first time he was supposed to be in print, but the print didn't happen. But I'm glad to have him back uh, on. This show, my second guest on the show, Sheldon Ledich. Thank you for coming back and talking to me, mate. Thank you for uh, your time again. Thank you for sharing your wonderful story with Corey. You're welcome. Um, we're going to put that uh, a a link in the description box to from Vietnam to Van Damme. Well, please do because yeah, that elaborates on all of these stories that I've told you. All the little bits. Tickled, we've tickled and teased because we want you to go out and have a look at the book and learn more about Sheldon's journey from Vietnam to Van Damme. I've got it right twice in a row. It's a bit of a tongue twister from Vietnam to Van Damme. There's a movie in it. Uh, there's a lot of movies in it. Thank you, Sheldon. Thank you, everybody. This is Cantel. This has been Cinema. You get it.